just get myself comfortable. Well, I don't know why um, Quint said, can you make them feel comfortable because, and welcome, because you have done already. You've done, thank you so much. Um, if you've ever had a conversation with me, you'll, you'll quickly realize that uh, I'm very introverted, right? Small talk and, and holding a conversation is not my forte. I genuinely would much rather be stood in the front, uh, at the front of a room with my guitar than, than having a small talk conversation. But thank you for, for having us. Uh, and the fact that you, um, you heard me a couple of weeks ago and then you still let me come as well. I mean, maybe you just thought, well, we've got him now, listen. <laughs> um, but bless you, thank you. Uh, a little bit, just a little bit about me, um, just to kind of fill in a little bit of story. Uh, I work for St. Mary's Church in Rygate. Uh, and my job title is uh, one of those inflated job titles that you, uh, that you hear about at churches. And it's Head of Worship Culture. Um, and I've been doing that role full-time now for a year. But I did uh, the maternity cover sort of four or five years ago. So I've been at St. Mary's four or five years now. Um, and that is probably a little bit about me. I've brought my family with me today. I also love how kings, you love having the kids here. You guys are pioneering something there, okay? Um, and, and you're going to have something to teach a lot of churches in a few years' time, I think. So, well done. Keep going. You're doing a great job. Um, yes. So, this weekend, worship and warfare. Wow, what topic. Um, and hopefully, there's two things there, worship and warfare. And I've got two teaching slots this morning and this evening. So, uh, this morning, we're going to focus on worship. We're going to look at worship. And then this evening, we're going to look at warfare and we're going to look at uh, the part the role that worship plays in in that in the midst of that uh, so this morning we're going to explore what worship is maybe a little bit about what worship isn't uh, and we're going to work out areas in our life that maybe we haven't given God our full attention and obedience and then this evening we'll explore worship as warfare and and think about how worship isn't a neutral activity but actually it's a choice in the midst of a battle. Uh, and I should say as well that hopefully these sessions uh, won't be just me talking at you. I'll get you to kind of break into twos and threes and, and chat about some stuff and give you some prompts. And then maybe a couple of other times, times we'll do some feedback stuff and hear what people are saying. Uh, so hopefully there'll be a little bit of in interaction. Uh, and I'll start this evening with a Q&A as well, which is always dangerous. So don't, don't throw too many curveballs at me. But... Um, just an opportunity for you to ask me some questions maybe, and I'll, I'll do my best. Um, and so um, the goal, this is all leading towards a goal, right? And the goal that I would like for you as King's Church Oxted is um, by the end of the weekend for you to realize that you are a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And as I uh, have written this stuff, I was thinking that, um, that, these, that these were kind of going to be like training sessions, you know, sort of thing. Um, but as I was praying this morning, and, and just from my being here the last couple of times, last couple of weeks, I think this is going to be less about training and more about anointing. So, what's anointing? Um, anointing is, in many ways, just like a, a thing you do. So like in baptism, right? When you get baptized, you go, I don't know how you do it at King's, is it like a little paddling pool or something? A little pool. But you, you know, you're kind of aiming for the full immersion thing. Great. Okay, so um, in many ways, baptism, you go, you, know, you go into the water, you go down into the water, and then you come back up. 
In many ways, nothing has changed. That is just a practical thing that you do. And yet in other ways, everything has changed. And so anointing is like that. And in the Bible, when they anointed people, they anointed them with oil. And I used to think it was just like a little bit of oil, but they would just like kind of get gallons of this stuff and just kind of throw it. Um, and and so, so, for, so for today, as I'm with you, this is less about training. This is more about anointing you, anointing you to realize that you, King's Church, are a royal priesthood. You're already worshippers. And so it's about kind of realigning. I don't know if you have to kind of like reset a compass or realign a compass, but it's like repositioning ourselves to a true north. And then in this anointing, moving from that as a royal priesthood. In some ways, nothing will have changed. And my prayer is that in every way, in some ways, everything will have changed for you. Okay. Where am I getting that from? Royal royal priesthood. Where's that from? 1 Peter 2, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. God's special possession. Why? Listen to this. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. Why are you going to be a royal priesthood is because there is a king who called you out of darkness and into light. And, and I'm early on in my role at St. Mary's, so I've only been doing this particular role full time for a year. Uh, but the framework that I'd, I'm trying to get people into, the mindset that I'm trying to get people into, um, is to think of themselves as this holy priesthood, this royal priesthood. Uh, and, and in particular, think of themselves as worshippers like the Levites. So in the Bible, um, out of the 12, tribe, out of the 12 tribes, um, the Levites were the tribe that were set apart. And they, they were set apart for a purpose. Uh, and, and it was to um, look after the temple, help the worship, kind of sort stuff out, administrate the, the worship. Um, but all of their roles that they did, and there was a list of them, I kind of boil down into two distinct roles. If we could have the slide up, that'd be helpful. Um, the first one was to worship God. That was the first role of the Levites, was to worship God and be transformed by spending time in his presence. Worship God. And then the second was moving on from that. The second then was to encourage the rest of Israel to come and do the same thing. Come on. God is good. He's worthy to be praised. Let's come and worship him together. A holy priesthood whose role it is to worship God and then to draw others into worship him too. And so if you take nothing away from everything I say today, I've written a lot of words. You have been and are being anointed, King's Church, to be a royal priesthood. Sound good? That is all I've got. So that is good. Okay, let's get the juices going. Let's kick us off. So let's spend a couple of minutes then. Just turn to the person next to you and start to ask the question, what is worship? It's a simple question uh, and it doesn't have a simple answer necessarily. But let's ask each other, what is worship? And then we'll come back and feedback. What is worship? Let's go. Okay, great. 
So who wants to kick us off? Who wants to just throw something at me? What is worship? Expression of love, yeah, nice, great. What else have we got? Sorry, say it again. Yeah, presenting our bodies, living in holy sacrifice. That's lovely. Yeah, family. So, God's consciousness. Okay, nice, great. Yeah, great. Recognizing God in his true place. Nice. Cool. Yeah, great. It's a difficult question, isn't it? Because you start to kind of go, actually, what, you know, we, we stand up here and we sing. What is it that we're doing? Uh, the English word for worship literally means worth-ship. It means ascribing worth to something, giving something value, making it important. Becoming, this is going to be a key word today, becoming obedient to it. And as humans, we're hardwired to worship. As humans, we have to worship something. If you don't believe me, let me, let me, let me prove it to you. Have you ever recently gone to a sports game? Or you, I mean, I don't know if you've been watching the Ashes over the last 24 hours, but um, everyone's standing in the terraces, cheering their team, their hands are in the air, the flags are out, the scars around the heads. They're all joining together, arms around the shoulders. What are they doing? They're joined by the masses and they're all worshipping the thing that unites them. In the, in the case of sports, it's the team. It's the team that unites them. It's the team that they worship together. God bless my family. <laughs> wow. Uh, what about uh, when you see a new baby? In a few weeks, Sophie's going to turn up. Not a few weeks, a month and a half. Sophie's going to turn up at King's. A little pram, a little baby. What are you going to do? Oh, look, he's a little baby. Look at the little baby. You kind of lean, you posture yourself, don't you? You kind of lean in. Your voice gets higher. <laughs> you stick your head in the buggy. What about these things? What about our phones? Vince just already talked about them today. How many times a day do we touch them? Look at them. Hear their call to worship. Ooh. We give them our value. We worship them. I have, a, I have a lot to say about phones and screens and stuff. I don't have the time to go into it. Maybe I'll pick, up, pick it up tonight. But um, as a society and in our culture, we talk about freedom a lot, don't we? We talk about freedom, about being ourselves. But the fact is, I think, that we're all craving something to worship. We're all craving something to be obedient to, something to guide us, something to tell us how to live. And so the question isn't, are we worshipping? The question is, what are we worshipping? Let me say that again. The question isn't, are we worshipping? I can almost guarantee that we are worshipping something. The question is, what are we worshipping? And what we worship has a profound impact on the whole of our lives. So if we worship sport, we build our lives around sport. We schedule our calendars around matches. We spend money on season tickets and merchandise. Uh, it dictates the people maybe that we, sp that we uh, hang out with, maybe the places we hang out with. Maybe it even dictates where we live because of, because of the team and how invested we are in the team. And I'm going to circle back around to this idea. Uh, we'll have a break in a little, in a little bit. Um, this idea of what exactly are we worshipping um, 
because I want us to use this weekend as a point of reference and a point of reflection. Am I worshipping God with my whole life? Or just some of it? What areas am I holding back? And if we are intent on becoming a royal priesthood, what things do I currently worship that I need to let go of in order that I may worship God more fully? In order that God, by his spirit, can make me holy? So we have something to think about. And so if we can't help but worship, the challenge as Christians then is to switch our attention, to switch our attention or our allegiance, switch our allegiance to worshipping Jesus. If we want to become a royal priesthood, we need to worship Jesus. Now, to set the record straight, it would take a lifetime of following Jesus to uh, begin to scratch the surface of what worshipping him actually is, what it looks like what our understanding of it is, perfecting that. I should have started by saying that um, there's kind of a history's worth full of books about worship. (laughs) Uh, And I've got like a little bit of time to kind of unpack it. And so really what I'm going to be presenting and bringing is just like my my understanding of it. So I'm going to bring in a second a few key verses. Um, It's kind of how I how I view myself in the part of worshipping God. So if worship means ascribing worth to something, then worshipping God means ascribing worth to God. It's about making God the most important thing in our lives. It's about declaring God as Lord of everything. It's about submitting to him in reverence and awe and being obedient to him. Our youth group, at St. Mary's, it's called Satellites. And the reason it's called Satellites, which is, it's not a great youth group name, I've got to say, but the reason it's called um, Satellites is because the vision is for the young people to put God at the centre of their lives. And I think um, historically in the church, we've talked about putting God at the top of a list, um, saying God's the, most, the, the first thing. Uh, and I think what that sometimes does is that sort of negates the fact that God is also interested in all the other things you write on that list, you know, family and friends and stuff. Whereas the model of satellites is when you put God in the middle like a planet, everything else in your life orbits around it. Everything else finds its place when God is in the middle. And if anything else takes the position of that, it all kind of falls apart. It all kind of breaks apart. So what is worship? Well, there's no, there's a few kind of, um, Verses that, that kind of begin to answer it, but there's no like, hey, here's a good verse, and it's nice and succinct and short and sweet. So I've got just a few that basically, if you open any book on worship, they'll be in there somewhere, okay? So the first one is in John 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. And he says this, we've got the words for it. He says this, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and the truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. What about Paul in his letter to the Romans, who says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We've had that already, living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or what about in Colossians, when he says, 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What about in Hebrews where it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that it cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And then there are hundreds, if not thousands, through the Psalms where it's, I could have picked any number, but this one just from Psalm 100. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And these are, of course, all snapshot verses, right? They've all been pulled out of their context. And to be honest, we could have taken any one of those and spent the rest of the day talking about them. Um, But notice, and I find this fascinating, notice how uh, they all allude to two locations of worship. Two locations. There's an inner worship and an outer worship. There's an inner worship and there's an outer worship. Um, and so our inner worship is, is a heart posture. What's captivated our heart? It's our innate state of allegiance. It's obedience to God, ultimately, in our thoughts, our desires, in our very being. From the depths of our soul, us saying, God, you are Lord. Jesus, you are King. And then there's the outer worship. That's the stuff we see. Um, I was expecting more people to kind of talk about singing and praying maybe when we talked about what is worship. Um, These are like the practices of worship. Uh, And in the New Testament, um, it talks about the outer worship is an overflow of our inner worship. And there's a catalogue of stuff we could call our outer worship. Catalogue of stuff. Bible readings, prayer. And I think we can make this distinction between an inner worship and an outer worship, because Jesus himself does this. So in Matthew 23, he, Jesus talks to the Pharisees, and he says, um, he, he, he describes their cups as clean on the outside. They look great. On the inside, all dirty, full of greed. They have an outer worship lifestyle that looks great, but their inner worship is lacking. The posture of their heart isn't bowed in reverence and awe to God. So we're going to explore that just for a minute. I think what we'll do, if I, if I, if I look at inner worship, let's get through that, then we'll break, have some teas and coffees, catch our breath, and then we'll come back again. So let's just look quickly at inner worship. This is the stuff that forms our heart posture towards Jesus. Do you know what I mean by heart posture? There's probably be a bit of jargon there. Um, but our heart posture, to up, uh, our posture is a position in which we're turned, in which we're kind of formed. If I lie on the floor in front of you, it's like a position, oh, <laughs> as demonstrated here, thank you, <laughs> little one. It's like a posture of submission. It means like I'm safe. I mean, you could do anything you want to me. What about if I like put my hands on my hips and sort of like puff my chest out? It's like a position of dominance, isn't it? The posture of dominance. And so when I'm talking about a heart posture, what I mean is how have we postured our heart? How have we moved our heart? What shape have we moved our heart into in front of God?
where our heart is turned towards declaring Jesus as king and being obedient to him. And Jesus again unpacks this inner outer stuff in uh, Matthew 15, uh, where he says to the Pharisees, this people honor me with their lips, their outer worship is good, but their heart is far from me. Their inner worship is lacking. John Piper said on this verse, he said, zero, it is not worship. This is zero worship. It is zero if there is no heart dimension to it. Yes, zero. So you can do as many deeds as you want. You can go to as many church services as you want and never be worshipping if it is all external and nothing is happening in your heart towards God. All true worship is in essence a matter of the heart. He goes on, he says, it is more, but it is not less. In vain do they worship me. All true worship is in essence, is in essence a matter of the heart. It's a fascinating phrase, isn't it? So according to Piper, worship is inherently an inner thing. It's something that's within us. And I think I've seen that here at King's. I think this is, I'm, not, I'm teaching you to suck eggs maybe at the moment. You know this already. Something that's within us. And, and, and that makes sense because I've already said that we're worshipping creatures and we're already looking for something to worship. But picture this. Imagine I went up to Ali and I said in my head, I love you. And then without looking at her or kind of acknowledging her in any way, I then turned around and walked away. Would Ali f- know that she's loved by me? Probably not. She wouldn't feel like she's loved by me either. Even if my inner self says, I love her. Now imagine that I walk up to Ali and I say, I love you. And I give her a bunch of flowers and a kiss and a hug. And I tell her what a good job she's doing being pregnant in this heat. She immediately knows that she's loved. Not just because of my inner self. Yeah, I got me brownie points. Not just because of my inner feelings, but also because of my outer workings. So our inner worship is expressed by our outer worship. Okay, listen to me there. I've given a lot of dense information. Let's just catch our breath. Let's go and get a tea and coffee. Let's take a breather. And then how long have we got? Ten, ten, five, five, ten minutes? Five minutes? So go and grab a tea and coffee, and then we'll come back. James, James. Oh, no, he doesn't need it. All right, everybody, we're going to gather back together, find someone to sit, bring your cake, bring your coffee, bring your tea, bring your baby, bring everything. Oh, it's just a lot of babies around. <laughs> bring a baby, bring a tea, bring a... Find someone to sit, we're going to carry on because we're uh, rapidly ticking on with the time. People might not appreciate this either, but did you pick up the fact that Josh said he got brownie points? And his surname's Brown. No one else? No, no one else picked up on that. Thanks, James. We'll lose the music. That'll mean everyone will pay attention. Great, we're going to carry on with Josh. Um, Josh is just going to start. We'll expect you to find your seat as we carry on. Over to you, Josh. One, two, one, two, one, two, two, two. Great. I'm going to get you talking again in just a second. So 
Come and grab a seat. Pull up a pew. So, and firstly, let's let's just let's just jump straight into it. As we move on to thinking, so we've had a we've had a inner worship. Think about what our inner worship is, and then uh, let's just let's just think for a minute about our outer worship. So instead of breaking into twos and threes, does anyone just want to shout any kind of like outer worship stuff that we do? What ways do we do we display our worship to God? What kind of things do we do? Sing, great, singing. I love singing. We're going to talk about singing tonight. I'm going to hold that intention. Yep. Serp, yeah, great. Giving, giving our time, giving our money. Yep. Thanksgiving, great. Yeah, we don't do enough of that. I don't do enough of that. Yeah, yeah giving money. Yeah, great. Okay. So I think as a uh, kind of capital C church in the 21st century, I think we concentrate an awful lot of our energy on this outer worship stuff. I'm going to just point at the bands, not because it's heretical, just because it's an obvious sign. Um, we, we concentrate an awful lot of our energy on what this stuff looks like, don't we? What we look like or sound like, whether we're keeping up with the latest trends, whether we're like Maverick City and wheeling kind of an old piano in the middle of a room and all standing around like a gospel choir, you know? And so I just want to labor the point before we carry on. We have got to, we've got to get our inner worship right first. We've got to get our inner worship right. We've got to get our heart posture postured in bowed reverence and awe in front of King Jesus before any of this stuff comes. Why? Otherwise, Jesus says we worship in vain. We, we, you could have the best band ever. You could have, um, you could have uh, the best preacher ever. You could have it sounding amazing. You could have it looking amazing. And it would all be in vain in the eyes of Jesus if your heart isn't postured towards worship of him. Our outer worship can only come from a life spent of inner obedience to Jesus. And so the next kind of, we're going to shift gears now. So we've looked at our inner, thought a little bit about our inner worship, thought a little bit about our outer worship. But then there's this phrase, the revelation in obedience. And so here's where we're going. Um, the end of this session, I want us to land at the foot of the cross. That's where we're heading. Uh, I call the cross history's great equalizer, which is so good that I must have read it somewhere or like heard it somewhere. Like, There's no way I came up with that by myself. The cross is history's great equalizer. And it's, just, it's the symbol of our worship. And so I want us to end the session in a posture of repentance, one of, of saying sorry for things that we might have, of, of saying sorry for the things that we've held on too tightly in our lives that we haven't let God in on. Uh, and we're going to look uh, at the gospel found in Philippians 2, which says that Jesus became obedient to death, then is restored by the Father. And as we think about being a royal priesthood, I want us to think about following in his footsteps, footsteps down 
into obedience, of submission, of letting go of what we want, and instead letting God say what he wants. Uh, we were at a friend's house the other day after church. I'm sure you do this at King's. You go around each other's houses. And we were sat in the garden of our friend's house, beautiful Rygate garden. Uh, and their dog, who's a golden retriever, comes over. And, and I'm not a dog person. I'm telling you now, I'm not a dog person. But this dog is the nicest dog you've ever met. He's so relaxed, so chill. Comes over, you give him a little scratch between the ears. Who's a good little doggy? A little bit of dog worship. And then he flops out on the grass down next to you and just sort of, ah. Oh, wasn't he? It was amazing. And our, and our friend said something that stuck with me. Um, the first bit will make you laugh. The second bit's why I'm saying it. That's exactly like my husband. They, they, they say that dogs mirror their owners. And the husband, it's true. The husband of the family is the most relaxed person you've ever, you've ever seen. Never heard him raise his voice. Never seen him get flustered. The dog, the obedient dog, mirrors the owner, picks up the behavior of the owner, starts to act like the owner. And this is what I want us to think about next. When you become obedient to something, that thing that you become obedient to reveals itself to you. That thing reveals itself. You. And if, if something has captured our attention, we spend time doing it. And as we, as we spend time doing it, what we're doing is we're worshipping it. And as we worship it, we become obedient to it. We become like it. In his book, Living into Focus, um, Canadian philosopher Arthur Bowles writes this. He says, our lives are shaped by our focus. The direction of our attention not only shows our values, but it forms our character or to put it another way you are what you eat and this is a crucial part of understanding what worship is because when you worship something you submit yourself to something uh, and you submit yourself to the process of becoming like the thing you worship you become obedient to it in order uh, to give it more worth in your life you become obedient because it holds so much value for you and so, for example, if you put money on a pedestal and worship money, say you worship money, you give extreme value to money. You find your security in money. You find your identity in money. You end up becoming like money, which uh, John D. Rockefeller, he says, how much money is enough? Just one more dollar. You're left thirsty and wanting more. You become like that, just unsatisfied. So let's duck back into our twos and threes again. Let's spend a few minutes. What has your attention? What are you obedient to in your life? And if you don't know what that is, a helpful way of looking at it is how do you spend your time? When you wake up, what do you... What, what do you fill your hours with doing? What's got your attention? So let's just turn our twos and threes and let's just chat about some of the stuff that, that some of this stuff might be good stuff, by the way. Family and friends is a good thing, but it does hold our attention. So let's, twos and threes. What holds your attention? Let's go.
Okay, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. I'm going to cut across you there. That's great. And, and hopefully some of these questions will have just got the ball rolling for you, right? Hopefully it's got the ball rolling. And so um, my hope is that I'm just going to start the conversation for you today. And then your job as King's Church, as a, as a royal priesthood, is to go away and carry on these conversations, okay? Great. So we won't feedback that, but hold on to it. Hold on to some of the things you were just discussing, because we'll come back uh, in our response bit in a bit. And so if, if what we worship uh, reveals itself to us, then as we worship God, he reveals himself to us his character, his love, his spirit, his kingdom. And so if we want to become a royal priesthood, then we need to become obedient to Jesus. Because as we worship him and become obedient to him, he reveals himself to us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself. I will reveal myself to them. Those who have his commands and keep them, those who truly worship him, are the ones who truly love him. And as a result, Jesus reveals himself to them. This is what we want as worshippers, as followers of Jesus, to become more and more and more and more like God. This is the process of worship. And it's what I found... um, through my lifetime of worshipping God, that the more Jesus reveals himself to me, the more I want to worship him. And the more I worship him, the more he reveals himself to me. And then it goes again, and you see how it's cyclical. It's cyclical. But it start, it's not like the chicken and the egg, which doesn't have a kind of clear beginning and end. It starts with Jesus. I heard an interview with Matt Redman once, uh, and I can't remember the context or, or the interview well, but the, the question was basically, Matt, you've led... Thousands of people in worship. Your songs are sung around the globe. How on earth do you start worshipping? And he said this, and it stuck with me all my life. He said, I simply remember who God is and who I am in light of that. I simply remember who God is and who I am in light. So profound. I can't tell you how many times I've used that uh, thought process in my head before I go out to lead worship or um, whether we're like praying as our, in our team before a service or something. Who God is and who I am in light of that. All about Tim Hughes, he puts it like this. Worship is a response to an encounter with God's lavish love and mercy. Or Bob Cowfield in his book, True Worshippers, he says, our worship begins with God revealing himself to us. And so our worship starts with what God has done for us. Because he sent his son to die for us, that through his death and resurrection, we may have life and a relationship with him. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his son so that we might have life. This is why we worship God. 
because he has life and life in all its fullness. And nothing else that we worship could ever satisfy. Jesus talks about a living water, doesn't he? A living water of life. Nothing else that we could put in the middle of our life could ever bring us such freedom and life. And that is something worth singing about. If there, if I'm, I'm aware I've jumped around the Bible a lot this morning, and I'll jump around again tonight, but if there was a key verse for this weekend, it would be Philippians 2. I'm going to read it now in full because it's, it's, it's a passage that, like no other, that has shaped my worship. It says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he, made, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And at St. Mary's, this passage, we talk about like a Nike swoosh. We talk about like the process of going down, of obedience, of humbling ourselves, of surrender, of letting ourselves go. And as Jesus lowers himself down and he becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross, the Father raises him. This, this is the upside down kingdom. And as we worship Jesus, we participate in our own model of this. And so to be a royal priesthood means to be living this journey every day where we put our own wants, our own needs to the one side and we say, Jesus, I want you to be in control. I want you to have your way in my life. I want your will to be my will. And I will become obedient to death. I will follow you down to death. And I will make my life a living sacrifice for you. What happens? God shows up. God reveals himself. And he says, my child, he raises us up. He reveals us his character. He reveals us his love, his mercy, his grace. And as he reveals himself by the power of his spirit, we are transformed to become like him, little Christs. In losing, you see, in losing our life in Jesus, we find it. In losing some of our decision-making, in Jesus, we find a freedom unrivaled. In losing our ability to worship anything else, in Jesus, we find somebody who is truly and utterly worthy of our praise. Our praise is not wasted. And so here's where we're going to end our session this morning. At the foot of the cross. This evening's session, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and singing and how fundamental singing and worship is in the battle that we're facing. But, but to get there, I wonder if we just need to walk some of that Philippians 2 path, where we, 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 we make our lives a living sacrifice. We let go of our wants and our needs. 
and offer ourselves. One more story, and then we're going to do it, okay? This week's been a heat wave. We're fanning ourselves. It's hot. Uh, and last year, uh, the investment my family made uh, in the summer was an aircon unit. Because quickly in our marriage, Ali and I realized that I don't do well in heat. I get grumpy and grouchy and fed up very quickly. Um, so we bought an aircon unit. And so uh, we had that up in our bedroom earlier this week. Uh, that was, and so all four of us as a little family, we piled in there, uh, had the aircon on. And we're just on the beds, swapping stories about our day. The girls were bouncing around. Picture the idyllic family scene, right? And then suddenly out of nowhere, Ali lets out the most ear-piercing scream you've ever heard in your life. Now, there's another piece to this story, because we have a cat. I said I'm not a dog person, but we have a cat, and our cat's name is Shiloh. Uh, and Shiloh is an indoor cat, primarily, okay? So she's not allowed outside. But because it's been so hot, we've been having the kitchen door open. Uh, and that's meant that Shiloh has been able to explore the world outside for the first time. Uh, which brings me back to Ali's screen, because Shiloh, in her infinite feline wisdom, had brought us a mouse. <laughs> She'd brought us a dead mouse as a sacrifice and an offering for us, and had left it neatly folded up in our bedsheets. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> as I've been preparing this week, I wonder whether there's any dead mice in your bedsheets. I wonder if there's anything we need to get rid of. There may be people who need to let go of some stuff, who need to let go of other idols in their life that, they, that, that, that they've put in place of, of Jesus. It's possible that they're idols that, that people have worshipped for years. And so, I, and so my hope is that, that just for the next kind of 25 minutes, there's a, bit of, there's a time of breakthrough, a time of release, an opportunity for people to let go of some of the baggage and stuff that they've just been holding onto. I wonder if we need a time of repentance and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for holding onto that stuff. Help me worship you more fully. And in, and in each of us, I imagine there's already something that's stirring, something stirring that's in your heart already. And so the way we're going to do that is on an individual level. I'm going to pray. I've realized I haven't got my guitar up. I'm just going to come and play the keys quietly. And it might be that you'd like to, to join me in singing. It might be like you'd like to just sit there quietly and reflect. It might be you'd like to... Do something more practical, like um, grabbing a scrap of paper and scribbling some of this stuff down. What's the stuff you want to let go of? Jesus, I'm sorry for holding on to money too tightly. Help me let go. Help me trust in you. Help me be obedient to you. Jesus, I'm sorry that I've, I've, I've held on to my work too tightly. That I've made that my identity. Jesus, help me let go. Help me worship you. Would you be king in my life? But whatever we do, let's not waste this moment. Yeah, I know it's hot, but let's enter into a time where we really consider what is it in your life that you're worshipping? 
it might be helpful to think about some of the stuff that uh, you chatted about uh, as you were talking about what holds your attention. And ask Jesus to help you let go. Know his grace. Know his grace is there. And know that as, as the thing that you're holding on to finds its rightful place, Jesus gets his rightful place. So make yourself comfortable. We're going to enter into a time of worship together. Okay.